or encouraging to me, but hopefully with, I would say, the help of the Lord, I've selected six today that I want to encourage us as seniors. I will hit 55 in September, so um, I get to be counted in that number. You start getting those AARP things in the mail, and you start, uh, instead of jumping out of the back of a pickup truck, you climb out of the back of the pickup truck. Things begin to kind of change, and you notice it. And it can be discouraging. The Apostle Paul is in his senior years. He is close to death. And even though we don't know what his age is, what we do know is he's got a lot of miles on him. Now, a lot of times, senior adulthood isn't just that we make a certain number of years, but there is often in our bodies a lot of wear and tear, some from what life we've lived, what labor we've done, other from sicknesses and illnesses, disabilities and hindrances. But the Apostle Paul sits in a prison cell to write to us, about his senior adult time. A lot of miles. Eight different particular beatings. Three times with the rods. Five times with the lashes of the whip. What's called the 40 save one. The 39 lashes. Historians tell us that the human body rarely lived through any one of those particular events because one of the masteries of the people who did the punishing in that day was the ability to not kill someone immediately, but to bring about the circumstances that would lead to their death. And Paul, having suffered these eight different severe beatings, Many other beatings as well and a lot of hardship in his life. He's in a prison cell. He's writing and he's going through a particular time of distress. And from his letter, several things leap off the page about how he is using the last years or months or maybe even days of his life. And something that can encourage those of us who are kind of passing the 50 mark and heading into the senior years or passing the 80 mark and heading into those senior years. And I think that these things that the Apostle Paul teaches us are very helpful to keep us from getting discouraged. So let's jump into those six things. I've entitled this Finishing Touches. Paul's lived most of his life. The greater part of his journey is over, but he's putting finishing touches, kind of like the last things that you do on a work of art or on a a piece of material that has been crafted into something beautiful or that you do on a house when the construction is primarily complete. But you're going to put those finishing touches that just bring it to closure. That's what the Apostle Paul's doing is he's showing us the finishing touches on his life. So number one. I think Paul is going to teach us first, number one, invest in the life of someone who is younger. Invest in the life of someone who is younger. Paul has chosen to pour so much of himself 
into Timothy. And he's having an incredible impact on him. The entire letter, along with another letter, addressed directly to Timothy, to a young man in ministry. A young man who looked up to the Apostle Paul, who Paul brought under his wing and began teaching. And as a result, probably, of Paul's ministry, came to know the Lord. And then received his calling under Paul's ministry. And then was guided along the way under Paul's ministry to kind of stay the course. In the first letter, being reminded he needed to stay in that particular place that he was ministering in Ephesus. Even in the midst of hardship. And so the Apostle Paul is kind of pouring himself into someone. He's investing himself into someone who is younger. Those of you who are senior adults and are here today, there is a storehouse of wisdom that God has given you. Your experiences, your learning, your testimony, the things that God has shown and revealed and demonstrated and proven to you over these years, they were not all just for your benefit. There needs to be a connection between you and someone younger that you can pour that into, as Paul did, into Timothy's life. To take and to put the wisdom, the experience, the knowledge, the understanding that God has granted you. And to let that be poured into someone else to help them in their journey. In fact, if you took out... The call to preach the word in verse 2, and you put any other calling that God puts onto a person's life, you could make this text applicable to anyone that you would instruct. It could be to a housewife who has committed herself to spend her years at home with the children rearing in godliness and instructing in righteousness. It could be to the doctor who's giving his life to the care of others. It could be the construction worker who's building. It could be any area of work that a man or a woman engage in with their life. And we could substitute it there with that call to preach the Word to fulfill whatever God had called that person to. So as a senior adult, the storehouse of wisdom and knowledge can be invested in and poured in. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's pouring Himself into Timothy. Now, young person, Timothy was receptive. He understood the wisdom that God had given Paul. And so he made himself open and receptive. When I was younger, in my teens, my dad passed away. During those years, uh, there were uh, times that I was kind of without anchor in my life. I've described myself as sort of a ping pong ball being batted around or a pinball ball that's being hit around inside the machine. Whatever force was acting on me at the time was that which had its greatest influence. And sometimes those forces were not good. There was a neighbor beside us, Mr. Russell White. Mr. White was literally a genius. He was part of the design team that built the engines for the Lockheed C-5A, which at the time of its building and up until now is one of the largest aircraft to carry any kind of gear. It's those aircrafts that you see that are so big that they drive tanks up into them. And he was part of the team that 
designed and tested the engines for the C-5A to carry those great big payloads that it carries. He was a genius. He was a gentle and he was a humble man. And he gave of himself into my life when I was 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 years old. Listen carefully. I was such a fool as not to receive it. One of the things I reflect on today is that when God provided someone with such gentle and humble wisdom to me as a young man, who was willing to serve me, help me, lent every kind of tool that he owned to me to work on my cars, to repair things, yet I did not appreciate him until he had passed away. If you're a younger person and you have access, and I look around this room at these senior adults, I tell you, you have access. If you have access to men and women of God and godliness who could pour into you, listen, go to them and ask. Let them invest in you. Senior adults, make the time to set it aside. Invite them into your life. Look down just a few verses in verse 9. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. In other words, he wasn't just waiting on Timothy to come to him. He was saying, Timothy, you need to get here. I need you and you need me. So I need you to get here. Senior adults, be inviting to the people that you want to invest in. Have them in your home. Fix up some of that great food that you are renowned for. Take the time to have the young persons, maybe young couples, young families at your table and pour yourself willingly into them. Young people, be receptive and look for those opportunities. I believe one of the things that age-graded Sunday school has done to harm the church, and I'm not against it, so don't go out and say, well, Bart's got Richard here and they're going to change up the Sunday school. Relax. But one of the things that age-graded Sunday school has done for us is cut off the wisdom of the elders from the younger. That's not always a good thing. It's good to fellowship with our age and to have the camaraderie and the teaching. But there is a storehouse of wisdom in the senior adults that sit among us today. I know that personally. I've been able to enjoy it and receive it and hear it And so I want to encourage you, senior adults, invest, invite younger adults, be willing. And maybe you take the initiative to ask for that, for those to speak into your life and to encourage you. Now, the Apostle Paul mentioned four ways that he, uh, really five, that he spoke into Timothy's life. The first This is not in the outline, but you can just put it under number one, is God is going to judge us. Listen to verse one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. What Paul wanted Timothy to get as a young man, first and foremost, Timothy, you're going to answer to God. Now, senior adults and young adults, that needs to be our theme. Everyone here is going to answer to God. Now, there's something that happens as we grow older. It's kind of like if you've got a court date 
and you're getting closer to your court date, the closer you get to your court date, often the more anxious you become or more aware you become or maybe more prepared you become for that moment when you're going to stand in court. As I've aged, as I've had some sicknesses to deal with, it's made me much more aware of that coming day. It's like it's getting closer. And as senior adults begin to get that, to anticipate that, to think about it, it becomes more a part of their process of thinking. And the Apostle Paul is there. He's thinking that he's going to be killed soon. He's thinking that the death sentence is going to be carried out. So he says, Timothy, this is the thing. God is going to judge us. And so in his wisdom, he's passing on to the younger man. I want you to be ready to stand before God. I want you to be ready to give an account of your life. And so seniors, one of the greatest things we can pass on is we invest into the younger. Because sometimes... Their court date happens before ours. I've joked around with Miss Wanda on many occasions that I'd love for her to preach my funeral because I think she's going to outlive me. And we joke about it a lot, but it may be true. There's no person here of any age that is guaranteed anything past right now. And so as senior adults, one of the things that we can raise in the awareness of our young people as their life is busy, as it's filled with college and high school, as it's filled with careers, as it's filled with family and activities and ball, is senior adults, you and I, as we have slowed down just a little bit, can contemplate the importance of being ready to stand before God for ourselves And then to communicate that to those younger than us. So he says to to Timothy, God's going to judge you. Be ready. The second thing he does is he affirms his calling. That's one of the things that the Apostle Paul does very clearly with Timothy. And I think we need as seniors to invest in those who are going into any kind of career path, any kind of thing that they're dedicating their life to, is that we help them see their calling In light of God's calling upon them. So that their calling is always utilized for the kingdom. So that at the last of their days they won't say, I've wasted my time or I've wasted my career or I've wasted my life or I've wasted my my resources. So he, he affirms his calling. He tells him that there's this call to fulfill his ministry in verse 5. He says in the very last phrase, fulfill your ministry. The third thing that he talked to him about was the climate that he was going to be operating in. I don't know, seniors, if you've thought like me, but I think you have, and many of you have more years than I do. I think of of, uh, Mr. Link having literally 30 years my senior, so really a whole different generation. And then my generation and then the generation after me, I have the privilege of having a group of college students who are my small group, who we meet on Tuesdays, and it's an absolute joy and a wonder for me to spend time with them. But there is another climate on the horizon for Christianity in North America. The climate that you grew up in, if you're older than me, that I grew up in in my age group, was a basic affirmation of Christian principles. 
it was normative to have at least a fundamental sense of biblical right and wrong or biblical morality. That is changing quickly. Paul says to Timothy, look in verse 3 about this climate. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Human sexuality, human morality, the value of life, Ethical good and evil. These things on the national level in the climate of our country are shifting very rapidly. So rapidly that those that are younger than us, if they go into ministries or utilize their callings for gospel ministry or just share their faith in the workplace or in their neighborhood, are going to do so in a climate that will likely be more hostile than any other time in at least North American history. And we need to prepare our younger folks for that climate. It's not going to be like it was when I was a teenager, or when I was a young married, or as it was in your day if you're older than me. And so the Apostle Paul says, this is the climate that you're going to be working in, Timothy. And he's preparing him for that. And so as elders, we need to be pouring that into those who are younger. Then he talked to him about doing so in the midst of hardship. Look in verse 5. Be sober in all things, endure hardship. What I have found that Satan specializes in is discouragement. When I talk to International Mission Board missionaries, when I talk with people who've been in ministry for a long time, when I speak with folks who've been on the front lines of any kind of Christian uh, work, what I always find the strongest tendency toward is discouragement. The enemy just seems to work And work and work at discouragement. Help the younger generation prepare for the hardship so they will not grow weary in well-doing. This is an important aspect of Christian teaching. There is a belief that has spread in North America and it's spreading globally now that if you live sort of a righteous, moral, Christian kind of life, that God is kind of obligated to bless you with some kind of prosperity. My brothers and sisters, there is no biblical model that follows that. All of the people of God, from righteous Abel until the martyrs at the end of the book of the Revelation, have lived in hardship and difficulty. Let's well prepare the next generation for that hardship. How do we do that? Number one, by how we handle hardship. This is one of those areas where more will be caught than will be taught. If your hardships makes you a whiner, a complainer, 
a groaner, a dissenter. If your hardship makes you negative in disposition, ugly in spirit, you will not be able to encourage younger people to endure hardship with joy as Paul did. Timothy has watched Paul write letters from prison whose theme were joy. The book of Galatians is about the joy of redemption and justification apart from the works of the law. Philippians is about the joy of serving Jesus in every aspect of life, even in the knowledge of your impending death. The Apostle Paul was able to impart joyful endurance by how he joyfully endured. It was a lesson caught by Timothy, not just taught by Paul. And then finally, in his investing in him, the Apostle Paul warned him. I think there needs to be some heads up along the way. The Apostle Paul gave him one stern warning about one particular situation. Go over to verse 14. This is the situation of Alexander the coppersmith. Now what happened when Paul came to town, people began coming to the Lord and forsaking their idols. That did two things. One, it slowed down the sale of idols. And Alexander the coppersmith was a crafter of idols. And the second thing that it did is it devalued idols because people had idols to give away. They were just discarding them. They were just throwing them away. And so all of a sudden, these coppersmiths and silversmiths and these folks who crafted these things, they were offended by the gospel because it hurt them economically. And the Apostle Paul warns Timothy. He said, man, you've got to watch out for this guy. Now, Paul was not trying to serve some personal vendetta that he had for Alexander the coppersmith. Because at the end of his statement, he says, God's going to judge him. He'll render to him for his deeds. But he was giving Timothy a heads up. Some of you, through your years of experience, have some good heads up that you could share with a younger person. Some of it is heads up about how not to mess up a marriage. Heads up about how not to mess up a family. Heads up about how not to discipline or how to discipline children. There's lots of heads up that you can give from the voice of experience and sometimes from the voice of failure. Some of the best things I can teach my small group of college students come not from my successes. They come from my failures. And my willingness to say, when I was your age, I really blew this thing. And I want to give you a heads up about how enticing or how dangerous this particular thing is. Not all our lessons are like Paul that are given from success. Many of them are from failure. And so let's warn, as Paul did to Timothy. He said, watch out for this guy. Let's give a heads up for these things. Number two, what else is going to help me put finishing touches on? Number two, enjoy what has been accomplished in your life. One of the hardships of getting older is we can do less. And I've watched many of our own senior adults who struggle with this as I've struggled with the fact we can't do as much as we used to do. I used to get this burst at the end of the day. And I mean, I would kick in about 8 or 9 o'clock, and I was just like a whole new day was starting for me. And I could go till like 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, 
at 9 p.m., I don't get a burst, I get a bust. And it's like, where's the bed? Okay, and I get discouraged because some of my most productive time in my younger part of life was the last four hours that I was awake, and there was just strength there. It's not there anymore, and I'm really bummed out about it. And I labor with that, and I struggle with that, because it cuts into what I can accomplish in a day. Many of you, like me, are feeling the weight of that, and all of a sudden you're looking at what you can't do anymore. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. Now, I want you to understand, he is limited to a prison cell right now. And he could easily focus on all that he can't get done. I mean, what does he spend his life doing? Going town to town to town preaching the gospel. What can't he do anymore? Go town to town to town to preach the gospel. There was a day when people were touching handkerchiefs that he owned, and they were being healed. And now, he is sitting Alone in a prison cell. He could easily begin to woe over what not he can do. But instead he looks at what he has done. Listen, he says in verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Time of my departure has come. In other words, my days are numbered. The sacrifice for the Lord. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. Listen, if you're a senior adult right now and you still trust Jesus, that is enough to get you home. If that's all you've got. If you are broke and broken. If you today can say with Paul, I've kept the faith. That's enough. That is in and of itself a miracle of God. Because if you've got a number of years on you, you've got a lot of opportunities along those years to have been discouraged by something. Hurt, wounded, injured. And if you sit here today as a senior and you can say, I have kept the faith then rejoice in God's work in your life. That through all of those ups and downs, He was just doing this one thing. Making sure you still had a hold of the one anchor that you have in your life, who is Jesus Christ. This is important. It's what held Paul stable in all of the latter turmoil of his life. Enjoy! What has already been accomplished in your life. The Apostle Paul was able to do that in such a way to weave it into everything that he did. Number three. This one I could camp on forever, but I just think we'll make a passing reference to it today. Understand and instruct that one of two loves is at the heart of every human action. Jesus taught it this way. No man can serve two masters. He will either love one and hate the other, or he will cling to the one and reject the other. No man can serve God and stuff. In the verse 8 and verse 9 section, really verse 8 through 10, he gives those two loves. Listen to them. 
verse 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, and mark this, loved His appearing. That is love of Jesus, love of God, love of the gospel. That is love that is heavenward. And he's saying, that's the thing I've clung to and my decisions have been made of this. This is what I've based the decisions in my life on. I love the Lord. And that's why I do what I do. That's what he's saying. But then he gives an example of someone who didn't. Along your path, you're going to see people, if you get many years given to you by God, you're going to see people who you thought loved the Lord, but they really just love the world. And something's going to happen along the way that's going to reveal it. I don't know what it's going to be. But in the life of this one fellow worker of Paul, something happened and his true love was revealed. Look in verse 10. For Demas, having loved this present world. Both of these words are the big word for love in the New Testament. The word that we use, agape love. They're talking about deep heart desire. One of these loves was for Jesus. And Paul has that love. And because of that, he can't wait to see him. Demas doesn't have that love for Jesus. He loves the world. Senior adults, one of the greatest lessons you can pass on to a younger person is to help them understand That every decision that they make in their life will be rooted in one of those two loves. And nothing else. We live and do what we do either out of love for God. Or we live and do what we do out of love for what God made. This present world. This created order. That's that confusion that comes in Romans chapter 2 where it says, Romans chapter 1 where it says, they forsook the Creator and worshipped the created. This is important as senior adults because it helps us look forward to what's coming. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. So, number four. Endure loneliness, disappointment, and station in life with grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. This is what set Paul so far apart. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus. Let me back up. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Then he talks about Alexander the coppersmith. And then he says in verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. What's happening here? Paul has had loneliness set in. Nobody's with me. They've deserted me. When I stood and gave my first defense of the gospel, everybody left. That means his whole missionary team abandoned him and left him alone to stand before Rome and give his defense of the gospel. They deserted him. All of the folks who'd been serving with him in the book of Acts, all these heroes that we have, that we talk about, none of them are there. Paul is lonely by himself. 
He is now what we would call a shut-in. He's in the jail. And if he has any contact with the outside world, it's because somebody comes to him because he can't go to them. If you live long enough on this earth, it is likely that you'll get to that place. That you'll live as a shut-in somewhere. It might be a nursing home. It might be your own house. It might be at at a hospital. You'll live as a shut-in. You'll be totally dependent on other people coming to see you. And when that happens, it gets very lonely. And the station in life gets very hard. And it's very easy to become embittered. But listen to Paul's sweet words. He says, bring Mark with you. Who's Mark? He's one of the guys that quit him early in ministry. All the way back in the first missionary journey in the book of Acts, Mark jumps on board and says, Oh yeah, man, I love Jesus. I'm in this thing. They get out there. It gets a little bit hard. Mark says, I think I'm going to the house. And he quits and leaves. And Mark's situation is so bad that it causes Paul and Barnabas to split. And as far as we know, they never work together again. We're talking about a deep wound in ministry, early in Paul's ministry. Mark is the source of that wound. And what has Paul done? He's reconciled. He's been gracious. And he's been forgiving. And so when he writes his letter, he says, Would you bring Mark to visit me in prison? This is a reconciliation of an old wound. Where Paul now, rather than saying, we don't need Mark, he can't come with us, Paul turns it around and says, he is useful. This is a strong word that he uses that means that his purpose in God's ministry in the gospel is valuable. And Paul is gracious in his station in life. He's forgiving. It is very easy when our station in life changes and gets hard that we get resentful, bitter, hardened. Not enough people visit us. Not enough come and see us. Not enough contact with the outside world. Not enough ministry from people. And it's very easy to get it up. Paul says, may God not, look at that, may God not hold it against them. That's at the end of verse 16. He's forgiving. For those that have disappointed him, hurt him. He's calling for Mark back. And so he is enduring loneliness, disappointment, and station in life. He's disappointed in what they did. He's lonely. No one's here but Luke. And Luke's probably there giving him his health checkup just to make sure he's all right. And then he's forgiving these people. It's beautiful. Number five. Rejoice over the many times, known and unknown, that God has delivered you. A lot of times when we get into the station in life, we forget to count our blessings and to sit there and really rejoice in all that God has done. And so we look and we reflect. Listen to what he's a description of God's blessing. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. Listen, no matter how many people ever forsake us as believers, Jesus is going to be right there. He's going to be there. Paul looks back and he says, the Lord was with me. They left me. They abandoned me. They disappointed me. They hurt me. Do you know what? There was never a time in all of that that Jesus was not standing right there with me. But he says more than he was just standing there. Look at what he says after that. He says, and he strengthened me. 
How many times, senior adult, listen to me, how many times did you think the grief was going to be too much? The sorrow was going to be unbearable. And because Jesus was with you, He strengthened you. Look back on those times. Because the same Jesus that brought you through that sorrow, that grief, that pain that you had, that parting, that, that something that happened, and that Jesus walked through that with you, and He never forsook you, and you started quoting, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This beautiful picture of the witness of God who strengthens us. But he says not, he didn't just strengthen me. Notice it says, in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and I was delivered. He delivered me. So he was with me, he strengthened me, and he delivered me. How many times, known and unknown, senior adult, has God done that for you? I want you to think about the times you do know, and I want you to multiply times a gazillion of the times you don't know what God delivered you from. By His guardian angel, by His holy hand, by His righteous power, that there are many fold times He has delivered you far beyond what you can count because He loves you. He is with you. He strengthens you and He is going to deliver you. And that's how we close. Number six, anticipate with confidence and joy the glory of the final work of Jesus in your life. I want to recommend a reading for everybody, but especially if you're 50 and over, it's the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's about this thick. It's a pretty good read. It's not one of those kind of flowery, made-up things. That's not what it is. It's not like some kid goes to heaven and comes back and tells you all this stuff that's not in the Bible. That's not what it is, okay? This is a beautiful biblical look at what is heaven like and why should we yearn for it. I would encourage you to do that. Look at how Paul handles it. Verse 18. The Lord will deliver me. From every evil deed. And will. Bring me safely. Into his heavenly kingdom. This is why Paul used some really strange language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, when we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But then he says, but when we are absent from the body, we are at home with the Lord. This is why Paul uses that language in Philippians chapter 1 when he said, I'm hard pressed from both sides. Having the desire to depart and be with Jesus, for that is very much, what's the next word? Better. The Apostle Paul, with sweet anticipation, is looking for Jesus to come and get him. And to deliver him from every evil deed. He confidently waits on that. And he knows that the certainty is not built in Paul's ministry. The certainty is built on the gospel itself. You see, Paul preached this message. He preached that God made the heavens and the earth. 
that he made mankind in his image, that mankind rejected God and willfully sinned against God and was separated from God as a result. And Paul preached that God came hunting for us and He gave us clues to that all through the Old Testament of how that hunt was going to take place. And then He arrives in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, truly man, born of a virgin, lives a sinless life the way that we should have lived but never did, and then bears our sin by becoming us on the cross, dies in our place as a sacrifice for sins, and is raised from the dead on the third day, spent those 40 days with his apostles and with over 500 people revealing himself, ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, and the apostle Paul says, if you will believe this, you will have a holy, righteous anticipation of your end. And so the Apostle Paul is preaching to himself now. And he says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. And He will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. And so how does he end? He says to him, Be glory forever and ever. Why? Because Paul is thankful that he does not have to fear death. That he can actually anticipate his end with joy. Now, senior adults, we have the privilege of being able to have this anticipation because we know Christ. Because we have Him. And we can commend that to the next generation and the generation after that. And we have the privilege of sharing this and living this out. And so, if you are a senior today, I want to encourage you. To live with holy, joyful anticipation of Christ's arrival. The way that the Apostle Paul pictures it is Christ's appearing, which is a glorious picture of His return. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, this is what I long for. This is what I hope for. This is what I rest in. And so I want to challenge you if you are here today and ask you, are you at that place where you can joyfully anticipate the end of your life? Have you settled in such a way your knowledge of Christ, your faith in Him, your belief in the Gospel in such a way that you could join Paul and say, He will bring me safely Do you have that? If you're here today and that makes you uncomfortable or uneasy, I want to encourage you that if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would resolve this today. The first thing that Paul warned Timothy of as he invested in this younger man, he warned him that God was going to judge him. And he had taught Timothy the gospel And the gospel is that if you have faith in Christ, God's judgment against you was executed in the execution of Jesus Christ. So that you no longer have to fear standing before God and being cast away. You can look forward with the knowledge that God will receive you into His heavenly kingdom.
Would you bow with me? Perhaps that uneasiness is settling into you today and you have not ever come into a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you're a senior here today and as a senior, you know that sense of that court date drawing near and you've been a little nervous. Maybe you got some news about your health or maybe you just started pondering the number of years you have versus the probable number of years that are left. And you've just taken into account that your time may be soon. It is right now so clear and simple that you could come and settle this. Whether a young person or an elder today. Or you could receive Christ and he could remove your fear. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that his death on the cross actually removes our fear of death. Takes it away. So it's this way. You have to stand before God. If you this morning already sit knowing that you have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are comforted and all is well. But if you have not that assurance this morning, I want to encourage you to trust Jesus. To place your personal faith in Him. To receive Him so that you like the Apostle Paul could say he will bring me safely into his kingdom. Would you call upon him this morning to save you? You can pray with me to do so. You can express your faith in these words. Pray with me. Dear God in heaven, I know you're my creator and you're my judge. I have sinned against my creator and I am judged as a sinner. I know that. I know that your judgment without your forgiveness would be a condemnation, a guilty verdict. I've heard today that Jesus died for me. And that he was raised from the dead. That he is your son and that he took my place. I believe that today. And so I'm asking you through Jesus and because of Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Because I place my faith in Jesus alone. Save me. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As God stirs in your heart today, would you stand and would you respond to what He is doing?